Hello and welcome to the PLUS podcast. When we look forward to 2050 and we see the future of energy and whether we're going to have enough fossil fuel or whether we're going to have enough nuclear energy or renewables energy so that we can switch our lights on, we need to have um, energy plans. That was Alison Cook. She's an engineer at the University of Cambridge at the Centre for Sustainable Development and a fellow of the Institution of Mechanical Engineers. Alison manages a programme called Energy Efficiency in the Built Environment. I went to see her to find out what engineers are doing to help us leave off our wasteful lifestyles and move towards a more sustainable future. And as it turns out, they can do a lot, not just by developing new technologies, but also by taking a holistic approach, looking at how and if these new technologies fit into our lives and how they interact with market forces. In a moment, we'll hear from two of the PhD students at the Centre for Sustainable Development. But first, here's Alison again, telling us what the project is all about. We're looking forwards to a future where we don't actually know if there are enough finite resources for all the requirements we have um, in terms of energy. Now, one, if we don't have the finite resources we have, like enough gas to put in our central heating or enough fuel for our cars or... Um, enough electricity to switch our lights on, then we need to start thinking about reducing our energy consumption. And so projects like mine at Cambridge University Engineering Department are specifically targeted at reducing energy consumption in a particular sector. Mm -hmm. So hence the project's energy efficiency in the built environment is all about what can we do to reduce energy consumption in the built environment. Mm -hmm. And for you and I, that might be our homes you know we we might have already thought if we if we own a home we might have already thought about putting loft insulation in or cavity wall insulation others might have been more adventurous even and put photovoltaics on their roof roofs um, or ground source heat pumps um, to heat their homes in other parts of the world of course they'll be doing the opposite they'll be trying to cool their homes and they'll need energy for cooling their homes um, so the project is to look at how we can actually be more efficient, um, mm -hmm. not just in our homes, but in the built environment. So that's looking at city design as well um, and looking at how we can maybe create district energy supplies um, and to have more joined up thinking. Mm -hmm. And um, I think your project also includes policy making, right? So uh, questions of regulation, for example, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so. To get this right, we need to have good policy. And so, for instance, on our board, um, we have three government departments represented um, on our board, helping us. They're our advisory board, and they help steer the project. Um, our first aim is to understand the landscape for policy um, and, and also for planning regulation and how planning regulations and decisions are made. Um, the second aim is looking at the future of energy in its global context and how that affects the built environment. Mm. The third aim then deals with the very tricky subjects of what stands in our way for achieving our goals. And that might be things like we just don't have the money, so it's a financial barrier. Um, it might be that people just 
they like their cars, they like their homes, they like opening windows when they want to open windows. You know, it might be a social barrier, which mm -hmm. we have to overcome. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the third aim, is, is what barriers are in our way to achieving our targets for energy reduction, energy consumption reduction, um, and how can we overcome and intervene and overcome mm -hmm. those barriers. So, And how far into the project are you and how long is it going to run? When do you think you'll be finished if there is such a thing as being finished. <laughs> yeah. in this well, I suppose the philosophical answer to that is it will be finished when we've reduced our energy to, to the levels we, we think are appropriate. Um, in terms of this individual project, um, it's been running since 2008. We have a, a really prestigious partner in Grosvenor, the Grosvenor Group, who most people will know because they own um, the blue square on the Monopoly board, which is Mayfair. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, but they own a lot more than Mayfair and Belgravia. They own property all over the world. So, so they're a very big property group, um, which want to be at the leading edge of all of this work because obviously they've got a very big vested interest in it. Um, we're all crystal ball gazing. I mean, because none of us, as I've said earlier on, none of us know what the future of energy looks like. We don't know what our national plans are going to look like. So we actually have to, um, so to say when this ends, it really does depend on when we reach the levels that we want to achieve. Now, governments have already started to pass regulations to meet the energy challenge. Under the 2008 Climate Change Act, the UK has set legally binding targets to reduce CO2 emissions by 80% compared with 1990 levels by 2050. In 2009, the European Union published a directive committing member states to increase their share of renewable energy consumption to 20% by 2020. Meeting these targets poses a huge challenge. Some have suggested that the changes that are needed are similar in scale to the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century. And since the built environment accounts for over half of our energy consumption, it's here that most improvements will need to be made. It's these impending changes that have motivated one of the PhD students at the Centre for Sustainable Development, Aidan Parkinson, to look more closely at the UK property market. I came out of my master's, I did a master's at UCL in environmental design and engineering, um, and I became quite aware of the, the energy context surrounding that and I and when you when you go to build a building uh, currently the, you know the, your the, the lifespan of of that construction or of the, of, of that design for, for 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 the environmental design of a building you need to think about it well into the future you know you, you want to be you want to be thinking that this building that I'm designing right now I want it to be still working in good order in 30 years time and with all the with all the the transition which I was, which I could see coming up in the future in in the UK, uh, I just I just felt there was so m I I felt as if I couldn't confidently design a building that would actually perform for for over over that 30 year period. So this that was really the way I became interested into actually you know what how how do we how do we build or retrofit buildings that can actually perform well over a sustained period of time and not necessarily built just for today's today's context which could change quite dramatically and is predicted to actually from Allison's um scenarios work um my research is um investigating responses or predicted responses by UK property investors um, towards the energy management of property and whether this may lead to uh, futures that will achieve government ambitions. Aidan wants to find out how UK property investors value the energy efficiency of a building. 
Are they willing to pay a premium for it, or is it something that, for the moment at least, does not interest them? Clearly, energy efficiency will become ever more important as our natural oil and gas reserves dwindle and government regulations start to bite. But is this reflected in the open property market? Aiden is doing a survey to find out what motivates UK property investors. And by looking at prices of commercial and residential properties, he's trying to find out what price premiums are apparent in the UK market. So at the moment, every building in the UK, when, when it's sold, is, provide, is, is given a, an energy performance certificate, which, is, which gives us a rating from 1 to 100, or, and, and it's also got bands and A, a B, C, D, E rating. And uh, at the moment, nobody knows how much, a, how much that energy performance certificate is actually worth. Um, there, there's been some studies in the US that indicate there is a premium for energy-efficient property, or properties with good energy performance, but in the UK there has been no such study. It, it, it is completely uncertain whether investors are overvaluing or undervaluing the energy performance of, of buildings, but uh, we, we know where we want to end up. And so if my findings show that the value of a building's energy performance is undervalued, then there might be an opportunity for investors to buy well, good performing buildings which, which, which should add value to their portfolios going forward. Mm. And if the opposite is, is true, then maybe, uh, m then maybe people should actually move away from well energy performance buildings. Mm. So it's, it's, it's basically, hopefully, providing extra information that could um, improve the efficiency of the market in moving towards a, a building stock that performs well in 2050. Having an efficient market means that the actual price of energy efficiency in a building reflects its true value, so that the market is actually in tune with what we believe energy efficiency in a building is really worth. Aidan is still at the beginning of his research, so we'll have to wait a little while until we know his findings. But in the meantime, his fellow PhD student, Jenny Yahi, is looking at some of the barriers to developing an energy efficient building stock. What kind of things stop investors from improving existing buildings and making sure that new builds come up to the required standard? My project is on financing mechanism for energy efficient lighting in hotels. Um, the overall topic um, stems from um, the problem of um, acquiring upfront up, up capital for energy efficiency investment. Mm -hmm. So um, the underlying problem here is that even when investors want to invest in energy efficiency, they sometimes and, and a lot of the times as it seems at the moment do not have the um, upfront out capital outlay which is necessary to invest in the project that, that they um, that they want um, so they don't have the money there that they yeah, need to invest right they don't they don't have the money um, so basically my project um, can be split into two parts first is trying to look at look at the um, optimal energy optimal lighting system that can be adopted in a hotel and the second part is to um, decide on the on the on the best financing mechanism to finance these lighting projects mm -hmm. in hotels so so does that is that does that concern mainly existing hotels that you're going to then fit with new lighting or is that mostly newly built hotels that you're thinking about um, at the moment um, I'm expanding the scope to new builds as well but the initial idea was to look at retrofit mm -hmm. so yes it was um, um, existing buildings. Jenny chose to look at hotels because this context provides just enough complexity to make the project interesting but is simple enough to make the research feasible. 
Hotels have a simpler ownership structure than, for example, office buildings, which tend to have many different occupants, making any decision to install a new lighting system very complicated. What's more, the possible energy savings are easier to pin down in hotels, since the hotel rooms are standardized. Um, I've been looking at um, the choice of the optimal lighting system. So that is based on two, criteri two criteria. The first is the lighting system, which meets the lighting demands, the lighting um, performance, and the ambience requirements in hotels, which mm -hmm. is, it is very stringent. Like hotels usually, they would want um, warm lighting, and they have very stringent requirements on, on la the lamps that go in with chandeliers and, and those kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so to look at the optimal lighting system in terms of meeting the, the lighting performance, and the second would be to, um, to see how you could achieve the optimal system in the most cost-effective way. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's um, looking at not only the, the luminaires, the light, the lamps and, and the lighting fixtures, but also in a system sense, the wiring, the installation costs, the, the, the ballast and all that kind mm -hmm. of, the overall project cost to see um, what is most cost effective. Sometimes you have a product which is cheap, the lighting fixture which is cheap, but the installation cost is huge and that makes the overall project cost just mm -hmm. overruns the budget. And how do you find out about the less objectively measurable things, like, for example, the ambience requirements they have? I mean, did you do a survey amongst hotels? How did you find out what they require? Um, that's, a, that's a very good question here. Um, it's, um, it's, a, um, it's very hard to really... Um, there, are, there are consultancy reports and very little literature on, on that part of the, uh, part of the um, design aspects of it. And even lighting designers themselves... Um, cannot easily um, concretely express what kind of lighting they would want in hotels. Mm. Um, so, so, so it is really individually case study based. So you look at different mm. cases and different buildings and, and you have different theme, hotel themes and, and see what kind of technologies would suit and uh, would uh, apply in this kind of situation. It is, it is at the sense the only way you can really to yeah. achieve that is yeah. to see whether the hotelier, the clients, are satisfied and whether the guests are satisfied and to, to see whether the technologies meet the lighting designers' requirements there. Okay, so, so that sounds like pretty complicated calculation you've got to make, taking into account all the different factors to come out with an idea of how much something would cost. Yeah, and um, apart from the project cost, we also consider the energy savings. So what type of technologies would save um, how, how much electricity and how that would um, be translated into economic monitoring sense because um, you have different electricity rates for different periods of the year mm. and different periods of the time. And that's one part of the calculation in terms of choosing the optimal lighting system. The other part would be selecting the most appropriate financing mechanism. So how, how the hoteliers or how property owners or brand owners um, decide on how to finance the project. There are various ways in which hoteliers can finance lighting improvement schemes and Jenny needs to work through some very complex accounting rules to figure out which approach is best. In addition, there are also government incentive schemes designed to encourage improvements in energy efficiency, which also factor into this complex financial equation. So in the end, Jenny's research will not only be of interest to hotels and similar businesses, but also to government to see how and if their incentives work in the real world. 
I think it's it's looking at the application of these schemes in real life situations.、Mm. What really works and what not works, and and、um, and how hoteliers choose and how they choose what type of scheme or what type of incentive to utilize.、Mm. Um, and and I think the value of this research is that it、um, brings together all these different aspects into a package, an integrated approach to see how it works in a, a almost um. Uh, almost an、um, ecological sense、mm. to see how real life situations are out there,、mm. and a, a major dimension of this that、um, that connects each different part is a human behavioral side of it.、Um, how humans really react to technology, how they react to financing, how they make the investment choice, and how how they react to government fiscal incentives or government. Tax policies. This aspect of、um, whether new、mm. technologies meet the human needs、mm. is especially、um, emphasized in the hotel situation, where you want to、uh, opt, you want to maximize the guest experience. So hoteliers would not compromise on the guest experience at all. So, so my part, a part of my research is to evaluate whether these lighting technologies really meet the the, the human needs for lighting, and whether it can. Really um, um, enhance um, the the human psychological kind of experience in hotels, and whether、mm. hotelers are making a rational choice by choosing energy efficient technologies or not choosing energy efficient technology. And when they do choose it, how do they finance it, and how do they get the capital costs to enable the project to go forward? Jenny is just starting the second year of her PhD, so as with Aidan's work, it will be a while until we know the outcomes. Jenny and Aiden both did their first degrees in engineering, and that puts them in an ideal position to perform their research. They've got the technical expertise to understand and evaluate the technologies they're looking at, and they've got the mathematical background to understand the complex financial and economic aspects. But it's not all down to engineers. The energy efficiency in the built environment program is truly interdisciplinary and relies on experts from a whole range of backgrounds. Here's the program manager, Alison Cook, again. Yeah, it is, and that's it's a really、um, stimulating group of people coming together,、mm -hmm. which is is unprecedented、um, in some ways because this whole global situation is unprecedented.、Um, the, the The project was first housed by the Judge Business School, so it was a joint project between Grosvenor, the Judge Business School, and engineering. But as I've said already, you know, we've got engineers there, we've got architects,、mm -hmm. we've got social scientists, we've got government representation as well as business and industry. Yeah,、mm -hmm. so it's very interdisciplinary. Getting all these people from different backgrounds to work together effectively is crucial if we still want to be able to switch our lights on in 2050. And if you're a budding engineer or a mathematician or any other scientist or perhaps even a social scientist, you could do your bit by lending your expertise to programs like Allison's. We'll be staying in touch with the Center for Sustainable Development to find out how their work progresses. But that's it for this Plus podcast. My name is Marianne Freiberger. Thanks for listening, and bye bye.